Irish, and they met in Scotland. They got the whole country surrounded. Ken, being a top-notch soccer player, impressed this young girl from Ireland with his athletic skills. And in 1964, Ken married his Irish sweetheart, Eva. Together, they planted churches in Ireland and Peru before joining Torchbearers Fellowship in 1968. After 20 years with Torchbearers as conference director and then as their international representative, Ken launched Transmission Worldwide. His ministry has been conducted at churches, camps, conferences, universities, and Bible colleges in more than 70 countries. Ken and Eva have three children and several grandchildren and continue to teach God's word all over the world. They have been visiting GBC for over 30 years and have become friends in ministry to this church here. It says here that Ken has been around the world 33 times. He's on the frequent flyer miles for United forever. <laughs> he can go anywhere he wants. Oh, boy. But we are honored and blessed to have Ken and Eva here with us this week. So please join me in welcoming Ken here to our pulpit as he brings a message from his heart. And uh, we celebrate this with his wonderful wife, Eva, as well. Amen. <laughs> yeah, the only problem with that is trying to live up to it. <clears throat> and uh, haven't been around the world 33 times yet, but come April the 8th we will have been. <laughs> this, is, this is number 33. It's great to be back. Uh, most people that see me after a period of time are just amazed that I'm still alive. <laughs> and um, somebody was asking me about all the wrinkles, and I said, they're not wrinkles, they're laughter lines. <laughs> and he said, nothing could be that funny. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, question for you. Uh, don't shout out the answer, please. But... Uh, if somebody was to ask you at lunchtime today, how do I get eternal life? Would you know what to say to them? And if you're saying to yourself, yes, I would, then you just got the wrong answer. Okay? <laughs> I'll prove it to you in a bit. Uh, Eva's going to come read the scriptures for us. She'll need this microphone. Good morning. Scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. A very familiar story. You might want to follow along or perhaps just listen. Listen as if you've never heard it before. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, 
And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. A lot of books being written these days about family especially Christian books, of course. And uh, that's relatively recent, and even more recent, a number of books directed at fathers, all the responsibilities a father has. He is, of course, expected to provide a really nice, comfortable home, well heated or cooled, as the case may be, uh, for his children. And, of course, Superb food every day, just exactly what they want. And he must supply clothes that they won't be ashamed to be seen in. And they can go to school in them, little designer tags on them that mean that the seller can charge five times as much as he would for the same garment without the tag. And uh, a set of wheels so that Junior will not be embarrassed to drive to school and his friends will all uh, recognize that this is definitely very superior transport. And then, of course, education till he's about 37. (laughs) (laughs) But um, what about Jesus' father? (laughs) Uh, We did a little skit in our home fellowship uh, about Christmas, uh, updated a bit, and Mary and Joseph arrive at the Holiday Inn. And she says, What? You didn't make reservations? What were you thinking about? Of course, you have to excuse Joseph. He didn't have access to the internet, did he? But then he wasn't Jesus' real father, was he? Uh, Who was his real father? Wasn't the king of the universe? Couldn't he not have arranged somewhat better? I mean, a little more comfortable and secure and sanitary than a stable? (laughs) And as for education, Jesus went to some boring little synagogue school with an old rabbi who knew the Old Testament by heart, but uh, actually didn't live it. 
you know, the letter kills, it's the spirit that gives life. And the transport, well, one day he managed to borrow a donkey, that was about it, wasn't it? Accommodation? Foxes have holes, birds have nests, the son of man has no where to lay his head. <coughs> well, he seems to have been a pretty negligent father from, from modern standards, doesn't he? But actually, there was one thing that the father did give to his son, Jesus. It was the absolute guarantee that in any place, any given moment, and any day, he himself would be there. And that Jesus would have in his father all the resources he would ever need for whatever opportunities or challenges faced him any day. And that seemed to be enough. In fact, it's the whole secret of Jesus' life. He told the two best-known short stories in the whole world, although he never took a course in writing. And we just had one of them read for us, second best-known. <clears throat> Apparently just told it off the cuff, but... When you examine Jesus more carefully, here's what he says. The words I say to you are not my words. But the Father who lives in me, he does everything. So when you've seen me, you've actually seen him. You didn't realize it, but it was him you were looking at when you saw me do these things. It was him you were listening to when you heard me say these things. And all Jesus was, really, was a peripatetic beachhead for the Father to continue his reconquest of a world which had been usurped by his enemy. And he was rebuilding the kingdom of God in the empire of Satan. And that's still going on. Only it's going on through you and me because if you're a Christian, you're a missionary. If you're not a missionary, you're not a Christian. Here's what Jesus said. As the Father sent me, so I send you. On exactly the same terms. And, and I don't promise you designer labels <laughs> or exquisite accommodation all the time. I do promise you wherever you go, I'm going to be there. I will never leave you or forsake you. And in me, you will have all that it takes to be all that you're required to be. Let us, with that in mind, look at this second best-known short story in the whole world. It's the world's most frequently misunderstood short story. <coughs> and uh, Luke is careful to tell us the context. <coughs> See, back then, they didn't play soccer game had not been invented. They, they didn't even play lesser games like football or baseball or golf and that stuff. <clears throat> so what on earth did they do? The answer is they have debates. Jews love debates. They were, they're entertainment. And there were guys who spent most of their career building debating. And what you've got here is a world-class debater. He is at the top of the social tree 
he's wealthy, he's educated, he's famous, he's respected, he's got it made, he's arrived. <laughs> there used to be an ad for Mercedes Benz. If you didn't come in a Mercedes, you haven't arrived. <laughs> this guy's arrived in one sense. <clears throat> and Jesus was not universally popular. In fact, he was really hated by the elite. And, and, and they came up with repeated schemes to destroy him. And this is actually one of them. This lawyer stood up and asked a question which you might have thought was a wonderful question. What must I do to get eternal life? Wow, this is my opportunity. Bam, right? You think the guy wants eternal life? That's not the purpose at all, is it? See, his purpose is not that he wants to learn how to get heaven. His purpose is to trip Jesus up. Kind of like putting me in a boxing ring with a world heavyweight champion. <laughs> it would be a seriously one-sided contest. It wouldn't last very long, and I would look and feel kind of silly. <laughs> and here Jesus, from their perspective, is an ignorant street preacher with no education. And they're putting him up against a world-class debater with no advance notice. In front of a big crowd, of course. And so the guy gets up expecting to have a very easy victory and make intellectual mincemeat of this ignorant street preacher. And he begins, probably sarcastically from his point of view, but not sounding it, Rabbi. <laughs> Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if I'd been asked that question and I was answering it off the top of my head, which I can do easily because there's no obstruction there, <coughs> I would say, what a dumb question. <laughs> you can't do anything to inherit eternal life. You can't do anything to inherit anything. See, if you're going to inherit something, somebody has to leave it to you in their will, don't they? And if you coerce them as to what to put in the will, then it's not a valid will, is it? And if you help them die, you won't inherit it anyway. <laughs> what must I do to inherit? Dumb question. <clears throat> but, but Jesus didn't consult me. <laughs> Neither did he quote John 3.16, because it hadn't been written by that time. Uh, he actually responds in classic rabbinical fashion. Rabbis never answer questions. They just respond with another question. In fact, somebody once asked a rabbi, why can you never just answer a simple question? Why do you always respond with another question? And the rabbi said, what's wrong with a question? <laughs> the obviously a forerunner of modern politicians. <laughs> so Jesus responds... What do you read in the law? And the rabbi's answer is interesting because he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And it's interesting because you couldn't read that in the Old Testament. 
At least, you couldn't read it as one statement. You can read it as two separate statements in two different books. But you can't read it as one statement. Almost certainly the first person to teach it that way was Jesus. And this rabbi has done some homework. He has not attended any of Jesus' seminars, but he sent some of his students to listen. And he's got a report on what Jesus has been teaching. He's been preparing for this debate because he knows it's going to happen, though Jesus didn't. (coughs) And so this is the answer he comes out with. And Jesus says, well, that's great. You do that and you'll be fine. So is Jesus teaching that you can actually earn your way to heaven? You know, live right and you'll get there. Sounds a bit like that on the surface, doesn't it? You do that, you'll be fine. How do I get eternal life? What does the law say? Good, do that, okay. Uh, There is, of course, a problem with it, and that is neither the lawyer nor I nor you have ever done it. (coughs) Have you ever thought about it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Ever succeed in doing that for one whole day? Did you? How about the next bit, with all your soul? That's a bit more complicated. Let's leave that one then. (coughs) What's the next one? With all your strength. Now then, ever succeed in doing that for a day? Hmm. With all your mind, you're allowed to think. So you're guilty of breaking all four points of that law every day of your life? (laughs) So how are you going to get eternal life then? Maybe you'll turn over a new leaf and do it from now on. Maybe. Supposing you do. That doesn't pay for what's gone past, does it? Can you do better than that then? And pay off the debt? Don't think so. You know, if a murderer was on trial and he'd murdered every day of last year but promised not to murder anybody ever again, would that mean he was then scot-free and can overlook the past? Don't think so. You see, your past record is seriously against you, isn't it? And as Jesus says this, the lawyer is seriously embarrassed because this debate's been going about 30 seconds and he's definitely on the back foot. (laughs) And this ignorant street preacher has really got him right up against the ropes. And uh, everybody knows that he's not kept this, see. But he is a lawyer and he's reasonably bright and he does a bit of fast thinking and comes up and let, let's forget the first bit because nobody really knows, does he? Let, uh, how about the second bit? You must love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, you do love yourself, don't you? I mean, you don't like to be too cold for too long, do you? <laughs> or too hungry or too thirsty or even too tired, you know? There's a little self-indulgent goes along. Are you equally concerned for your neighbor? But, see, he is fairly bright. 
And what he's thinking of is a very common saying. And the saying is, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Uh, and that was a common saying in Jesus' day. In fact, Jesus quoted it like this. You've heard it said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemy. But that's Jesus. That's not the law. <clears throat> so he's referring to this. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. So he says, who is my neighbor? Because I wouldn't want to waste love on somebody who's not my neighbor now, would I? <clears throat> and if we can't define who my neighbor is, you can't expect me to do it. So what he's hoping is that this ignorant street preacher will come up with some kind of simplistic definition. This guy is your neighbor. This guy is your enemy. And he's going to say, great, how about this guy who's got a foot in both camps? And then Jesus is going to look silly. But see, Jesus has this infinite source of wisdom and information. <laughs> and it's really a very one-sided debate, isn't it? And <clears throat> a lawyer doesn't understand that. And G Jesus doesn't fall into the trap of thinking this is an innocent question of a man who wants eternal life uh, because the Father knows it's far from innocent. <clears throat> and it's in response to this question, who is my neighbor, that Jesus tells this story. And as he tells it, they're all totally familiar with the road he's talking about. It is not a freeway. It is not a superhighway. It is a dirt road about eight feet wide. And it goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It is down because Jericho is the lowest city on earth. It's about a thousand feet below sea level. And Jerusalem is, is about 3,000 feet above sea level, so it's 4,000 feet down. And it snakes in and out between thickets of thorn bushes and outcrops of rock, a notorious road where wild animals or bandits could lie in ambush. And people normally would not travel that road alone. They would wait until there was a considerable number of people ready to go, and then they'd go together for mutual protection, a notorious road. But on this particular road, this man is going down there alone and very predictably gets attacked by bandits. <coughs> Everybody expects it. As soon as Jesus says this guy's going down the road, well, you know what's going to happen. <clears throat> and they're not friendly little neighborhood bandits, you know, like raccoons with little eye masks. They're not like that. They take everything, I mean everything, every stitch of clothing. And this is not California. This is Israel. The sun is, if anything, stronger than it is here, but sunbathing was not popular. You, know, you couldn't even buy sunscreen. <clears throat> and people did not expose themselves to the sun. The only skin exposed when somebody went out was the face, the hands, and the feet. 
The rest of the body had never been exposed to the sun. They take every stitch of clothing, leave him like a piece of garbage on the side of the road. How long is it going to take him to get very serious? Sunburn. They take everything. <clears throat> and it says they left him half dead, which technically means he's unconscious. And there he is lying by the side of the road. Now down the road there comes a priest. If he's coming down the road, he's leaving Jerusalem and going to Jericho. Why? He works in Jerusalem. He's a priest. He doesn't live there. There were far too many priests in those days. They were in 12 divisions and they rotated. So at any one time, only one out of 12 divisions was actually in Jerusalem. No room for the rest of them. So they worked a month. And that was their year's work. Not a bad job, was it, really? And they got paid and they left. So if a priest is leaving Jerusalem, he's just finished his year's work. Got paid for it. In cash, of course. And he's leaving. He's riding. Why? He's a priest. He's rich. He's on the same footing as the lawyer that is talking to Jesus. So he'd be riding. And he's riding along. And he sees this man lying by the side of the road. What is the question that Jesus is supposed to be addressing? Who is my neighbor, right? So this guy on the side of the road, is he a neighbor or is he an enemy? See, normally there are two ways to tell. One is, what language is he speaking? That will tell you whether he's a neighbor or a foreigner, potential enemy. Second, what kind of clothes is he wearing? That will tell you the same thing. But there's a difficulty with this guy, see. Uh, He's unconscious, so he's not saying anything. (laughs) And he's wearing even left. So is he a neighbor or is he an enemy? You can't tell, can he? That is a more serious question. See, when I first heard this story, it was in an English context, and this English lady was telling the story. And she said, And would you believe... This priest, ignoring the poor man in all his need on the side of the road, rode past on the other side without a thought for him. (laughs) That is absolutely not what anybody thought when Jesus told the story. Because the bigger question is not, is he a neighbor or an enemy, it is, is he alive or is he dead? He's unconscious. Can't tell until until you get close, can you? See, and for a Jew to have any contact with anything dead, even a fly, means he's unclean. A priest is specifically forbidden ever to touch a dead human body. Very clear. 
first priest was, of course, Aaron. He couldn't even touch his sons when they died. Somebody else had to bury them for him. A priest is forbidden ever to touch a dead body. If a priest accidentally touches a dead body, here's what he's got to do. He's got to go to Jerusalem, spend a week there, means paying for lodging, bring a sacrifice every day, which is seriously expensive. He is discredited in the eyes of all his fellow priests for his carelessness. You know, then after a week, he can go home, continue to be a priest. A priest doesn't want to do that, does he? Particularly for an enemy. <laughs> Why would a priest do that for an enemy? This guy might be an enemy, might be a neighbor, he might be an enemy, he might be dead. You can't tell whether he's alive or dead until you get pretty close. <clears throat> but see... For the priest to be contaminated and to be unclean because of his contact with a dead body, he doesn't actually have to touch him. Here's what the law says. He must not come within four cubits. What on earth is four cubits? Six feet. How wide is the road? Eight feet. What's he going to do? pass by on the other side. He's going to make sure he doesn't come within contamination distance. And when Jesus said that, everyone listening to him thought, well, of course, what, what would you expect him to do? Now he is followed there by a Levite. <clears throat> a Levite is a temple worker He's not on the same level as a priest. He's not riding, he's walking. The priest is his boss. The priest is also his example. And if the priest is riding, this guy's walking, the priest has passed him. So the Levite knows his example and his boss has just come down here a few minutes earlier. And if his boss and example hasn't done anything for the guy lying in the road, the Levite's not going to either. He goes by on the other side. Still, no surprise, whatever. Everyone now is expecting some ordinary Jewish Joe. You know, we've had a priest, a Levite, now we're going to have a carpenter or something. This is where the, the shock comes, the first one. <coughs> when Jesus says, now a Samaritan came. A what? I mean, Samaritans were really hated by the Jews. No contact. It's like suggesting to George Bush that he would invite an Al-Qaeda terrorist to a Bush family picnic. You know, it wouldn't be very popular. <clears throat> hated person, foreigner, enemy of the Jews. He's riding, so he's rich. Sees the man... Obviously, there's serious danger. Clearly, there are bandits in the area and very cynical people. He gets off his donkey and gets down in the road next to the injured man. 
there'll be a cloud of flies around and the surface of the road is interesting the traffic mostly was not built by Ford it was, it was um, camels and horses and donkeys and they weren't house trained much less were they street trained so the surface of the road was kind of interesting and this guy is kneeling down in the road dealing with a naked man who's covered in dust and blood and flies and he treats his wounds and uh, uses some supplies he has with him of oil and wine. Then he bandages his wounds. He does not, of course, carry a first aid kit, so he rips up his shirt to do it. And if he's a rich guy, it's a silk shirt with his name on the pocket. <coughs> it's a good shirt, and now it's all ripped up. And he picks the man up, <laughs> you know, dust, blood, oil, wine, yuck picks him up, puts him on his own donkey. And the donkey is not about to carry two people. So that means he is going to walk whatever distance is left, maybe 10 miles down to Jericho. So he's exposed himself to great danger. He has spent some of his oil and wine, ruined his shirt, and made the physical effort of walking this distance in a very hot country with no shirt on. He gets to the inn. They stay overnight, and he pays for the night's lodging. <clears throat> but then he says to the innkeeper, whatever else he needs, give it to him, and I will pay for it. This, uh, this is a good deal for the innkeeper, you know. This is, this is nice. This is money. <coughs> and the innkeeper is delighted to comply. But the, you might have thought the Maritan would say, hey, this is one of your guys. He's, he's not one of my people. <coughs> and uh, I have interrupted my journey, lost my shirt, exposed myself to danger, walked 10 miles in, in the afternoon sun, it's your turn now. He doesn't do anything. Whatever else he, he needs, he's to get it. I'll be responsible for it. And then he says to the lawyer, now, if you were the guy in the road, who would you say was your neighbor? Your buddy, the priest, you know, you know in the country club and him. <laughs> Uh, would he be your neighbor? Or the Levite, maybe? Not quite on your social level, of course, but would he be your neighbor? Who would be your neighbor if you were the guy in the road? And the man cannot bring himself to use the hated word Samaritan. <laughs> He's, I suppose, the one who showed mercy. Jesus says, you know, you're right. You're really good. <clears throat> okay, you do that, you'll be fine. You want eternal life? Go ahead. Is he still teaching you can earn your way to heaven? Is he? Everybody knows, and the lawyer certainly knows, that not only has he not loved God with all of everything, if that's the definition of who my neighbor is, 
I haven't even got the first base of that one out. Right? Have you? How's your track record? If you're getting to heaven depends on this, are you going to get there? On what basis? Because you're nicer than the guy next door. <laughs> the guy next door is not the standard. Is Jesus really answering the man's question? Of course he is. See, Jesus is also taught, love your enemy, hasn't he? And this guy in the road is being loved by an enemy, isn't he? And Jesus didn't just teach. He was what he taught. He lived what he taught. He is the truth. <clears throat> and part of his reason for picking the Samaritan is not just that the Samaritan is an enemy. It's what they said about Jesus. Didn't we say you're a Samaritan, you have a demon? Of course they knew ethnically he was not a Samaritan. They knew his dad was, Joseph, they thought anyway. They knew his mother was, Mary. There's no Samaritan blood in them. So why did they say, you're a Samaritan? Because he was not one of them. He was an outsider as far as they were concerned. He was a disliked foreigner who did not belong. And they're absolutely right. He wasn't one of them. He was an outsider. In fact, he was from a lot further out than they knew. Because he'd come from heaven into our world. Remember Jesus sent a message to a church? And he said, you say you are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and you don't know that you're poor and miserable and wretched and blind and naked. You remember that? Those are kind of devastating words, aren't they? You sit there all smug thinking, I got it made. I've arrived. I'm rich. Got everything I need. Don't need a thing. And you don't know that you're poor and miserable and blind and naked. How can you be in that kind of condition? <laughs> I know when I'm poor. My bank manager is always in a hurry to let me know. Naked? I don't go out in the street naked. Not in the winter anyway. Yeah. I know when I'm naked. How can you be blind? How can you not know if you're blind? <laughs> well, the guy lying in the road was like that, wasn't he? Naked? <laughs> Poor? He just lost everything. Did he know it? No, he was unconscious. Who else was in that condition? The lawyer. 
the world-class debater who's got it made. He's one of the in crowd walking to the, to the temple and everybody acknowledges him. I'm absolutely certain that the guy never forgot his encounter with Jesus. I'm sure he replayed it time and time. How could I have done better? Isn't that what you do when you've just lost a game? <laughs> what else could I have said? And Jesus' words will be stuck in his brain forever. And eventually, he'll come to realize he really is the guy in the room. He didn't know his condition. Poor and miserable. Naked. Spiritual. And you know, it's a great day when you discover that's you. It really is. And there the guy is lying in the road. If somebody doesn't help him, He's had it, hasn't he? He's not going to live long. And if you're poor, miserable, wretched, blind, naked, you really need some help, don't you? You see, this world-class debater didn't think he needed any help. He thought he was okay. He thought Jesus was just a pain that needed to be dumped. But he heard this story and gradually realized that he was the man in the road. See, when Jesus left heaven, he didn't just kneel down in a bit of donkey dung. He came alongside you and me in all our rottenness, all our failures. All our guilt and shame. And took it upon himself. He didn't just make a 10 mile walk in the hot sun. He lived for 33 years. In hostile territory. A Samaritan. Outsider. Illegitimate birth. And having come alongside us in our need and taken all our sin upon himself on the cross, he gave us a total pardon. And then he didn't say, okay, you're forgiven, now here's a rule book, get on with it. No, no. He gave us himself every moment of every day so that we would have all that it takes to be what we're supposed to be and do what we're supposed to do. The words I say to you are not my words, but the Father who lives in me, he does everything as the Father sent me, so I send you. And probably not too many of you are learning to fly or even taking pole vault lessons because you think you've got to get as high as you can 
and then Jesus will take you the rest of the way into heaven. You probably expect he's going to come back and take you there without any effort on your part. Isn't that right? And when you get there, you won't have to clean the place up because he's spent the last 2,000 years doing it. You see, he has provided absolutely everything. In his death, there is complete forgiveness for everything you've ever done wrong and everything you've ever not done right. In his life, there is everything you could ever need for living every day of your life in every situation. Transport to heaven is free, and it's already prepared. He takes care of everything. He's a Samaritan. Whatever else it takes, I'm responsible. Lloyd's original question was, how do I get eternal life? <laughs> well, if it's by your own achievements, you're not going to get there. <laughs> so I need help. You know, I wonder if the lawyer was in Jerusalem one day when there was a great commotion. And wondering what it was about, he found out it was a crucifixion. Three guys getting crucified. Great entertainment. Whole towns going out to watch it. And I go up this hill and these three crosses are, are raised and then on that central cross he sees the Samaritan. The one who's come down to where he is to rescue him. Maybe the lawyer actually did get eternal life courtesy of Jesus. It's the only way you get it, of course. Have you got it? And have you really been to Jesus and trusted him and, and received this fantastic gift? Have you? Because there's no way you're ever going to earn it. And you're as helpless as the guy lying in the road unless the Samaritan comes to you and there's only one. There is no other one. There is no other name in heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. Isn't a great story? Not bad for an une uneducated, ignorant street preacher, is it? <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I want to thank you that you don't leave us alone in our desperate need, made even more desperate when we're not aware of it, lying unconscious, or standing tall and proud and thinking we've arrived and not knowing our true spiritual condition before God. Thank you, Lord, that you penetrate our defenses and you show us the truth about ourselves. 
so we might learn the truth about the Samaritan. The good Samaritan who knelt alongside us to lift us out of the spiritual gutter. Clothe us and care for us and provide absolutely everything necessary for time and eternity. What an astonishing gift. Jesus, there's no way I can afford to let my pride or complacency get in the way of receiving all that you're offering me. I embrace you now as my Samaritan, my Savior, my total resource for time and eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for your death for me and for coming to live within me and for all you have in the future for me. I can only humbly say thank you, worship you, and abandon my life to you. Amen. Thank you, Ken.